Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. It's July the 27th and I'm Francesca Toey. The Lancet's Dementia Commission, titled Dementia, Prevention, Intervention and Care, was launched at the Alzheimer's Association International Conference at the Excel Centre on July the 20th. This podcast is from the launch and contains a panel discussion from three experts who provide some of their thoughts about the Commission, its importance and how it might be used for the future. Thanks for coming so early this morning. My name is Richard Horton from The Lancet. It's a great pleasure to see you here. I'm very pleased that we have a session this morning where we can present the Commission to you and begin to have some discussion about it. Just two weeks ago, in a newspaper in England called The Times, there was a headline that read, Dementia forecast to hit 1.2 million as population ages. And in that article, there was a quote from one person from the Alzheimer's Society which said, Researchers must unite to achieve breakthroughs in prevention, treatments, and care before dementia becomes an even larger health and social care crisis. And of course, although that's correct, what this commission shows so beautifully is that there's already a great deal that we can actually do now. We don't have to wait. There's a great deal that we can actually do now too, in the words of the commission, and this is a striking and really quite stirring phrase, transform the future of society. Now the purpose of a Lancet Commission is to try and put a spotlight on an extraordinary opportunity. And in this case, there is indeed an extraordinary opportunity before us uh, in the case of dementia. And it really is a great pleasure for me to introduce the person who's led this process over the last many months, and that's Professor Jill Livingston. Thank you, Richard. I just want to introduce the Commission Um, So it's a dementia commission on prevention, intervention and care and you can see the other 23 authors there. So it's a joint publication which we've all worked hard on and all done part of it. The Lancet commissioned this because dementia is the most feared disease. Currently nearly 50 million people are living with it. It's going to triple in the next, uh, up to 2050. It costs 818 billion, rising to 2 trillion by 2050. It's important, it's the biggest uh, health and social care burden and it's relatively neglected. It's long been regarded as neither preventable or treatable, but that's changing. And so we met together to assess the evidence, undertake new research and generate evidence-based recommendations. Thank you. What we're now going to do is have three commentators. It's a great pleasure to welcome Alastair Burns, who's the head of dementia policy in the United Kingdom's NHS, Charles Alessi, who's a general practitioner and leads on dementia for Public Health England, and Helen Kales, who's professor of psychiatry and director of the program for positive aging at the University of Michigan. Alastair, you're going to start. Why don't you start and give us your reflections in a few minutes on what you've heard. Well, thank you very much indeed for the opportunity uh, to come here and just to echo the thought of what uh, others have said to congratulate Jill in being our guide and to the Lancet and colleagues for supporting this. So in terms of looking back at what we have done with dementia in the last few years, I think you probably don't remember 20 years ago, Richard, the Lancet in Edinburgh had an initiative um, and it was about dementia and it was about trying to stimulate some psychosocial research, but that kind of started things. So that was in uh, about 1997. In 2009 we had the National Dementia Strategy. I don't know if Shubi Banerjee's here, one of the authors 
pillars of the National Dementia Strategy and at the same time the Time for Action report which looked at the role of anti-psychotic medication and I think it's fair to say that they really put down a marker and there was something about it that caught the public's imagination. And one of the things that we tried to do, we, we tried to see what levers we could begin uh, uh, to get a hook on. In terms of the antipsychotics, we achieved a 50% reduction in the use of these medications over about five years. And I know Helen is going to uh, talk about that. And that was interesting. That was getting, if you like, a negative story. The report said there were 1,800 excess deaths, 1,500 excess strokes a year as a result of these medications. And this was a negative story. But it was using it as a marker for person-centered care. So we used that as a measure and we said if you have good person-centred care then that will improve things. Next was stigma and colleagues such as Jeremy Hughes and colleagues from the Alzheimer's Society. A huge amount of, uh, of interest in stigma for people over the age of 50, the most feared illness. And yet 80% of people in surveys recently don't know you can reduce your individual risk of dementia by uh, doing things. There are 2 million dementia friends, but it's not just individuals. It's dementia-friendly businesses, dementia-friendly communities and dementia-friendly schools. So a huge amount has, has been done. In terms of research, there was an aspiration to double the amount of research and I think the last three days has shown the huge interest in research and the, the things that Jill and colleagues have put together shows all the evidence that there is now. And finally, in terms of the diagnosis rate, we've raised that from probably just under 40% to approaching 70%. Uh, it goes up and down. But I think using the diagnosis as a marker for post-diagnostic support uh, is key. So in terms of the things that we do now and how we can use the Commission and the importance of it, yes, there are treatments uh, there, but I think it's linking that to the lived experience of a person with dementia. And when we're judged about all the various policies and things that we're doing, it's that lived experience of the person with dementia is important. It's post-diagnostic support. You need a diagnosis to get post-diagnostic support, and we've seen of all the things that we can uh, to improve that. One of the privileges of my job is to go around the country, and there is, as with in any other field and with anything else, variation in care. And I think, Richard, as you said, one of the things is that if we can implement good practice that we know is out there everywhere, it would make a huge difference. So for me, three things. First, it's there. We have a Lancet Commission. We have a lot of evidence in one area that we can see. Second, we need to get a hook to tap this into the various policy initiatives that there are at the time, link it into NICE, for example. And thirdly, for me, the good thing it talks about prevention, risk reduction to end-of-life care. And I think that journey across the whole of the experience of dementia is important. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jill, for inviting me. I think this commission is going to be remembered as one of the big changes, the big changes in the way we think about dementia. And I, I'm really pleased to be here and have the opportunity to, you know, exchange a few words with you all today. Our journey in public health England really started uh, around 2010, 2011, when we really started to try to work much more assiduously and also in a much more joined up way to try to highlight the importance of risk reduction at a time when it wasn't quite as sexy as it is now. 
and it certainly was a rather difficult journey we had in the beginning. But there's something which I've, I realized when I was thinking about what I was going to say today, that there's a, a rule of a, the two-year rule, I think, because one of the first milestones was the Blackfriars Consensus, when we got experts from England and internationally together in July 2013. That's four years ago. And through The Lancet as well, that was published. And it really started the journey around getting people to really look at this a little bit more. The inevitable two years passed, and we had NICE guidance, which started to look at and actually advised on midlife interventions to manage risk reduction. And now, two years later, we've expanded that to the whole life course and to the non-biomedical interventions. So I reckon if I were you, I'd hang around for the summer of 2019, because there's going to be something even more extraordinary that happens then, because I think this has been moving... Well, some people think ever so slowly, but actually for medicine at um, uh, something close to breakneck speed (laughs) uh, in terms of change. And I think this is really, really uh, good and important. But coming back to the, the commission itself, I think there are two areas which are really important here. One is around the the whole life course, because even though we've been concentrating an awful lot on the middle years, insofar as it was clear that that is possibly the most important and productive time to actually intervene, it's also uh, becoming clearer, especially through this commission, that we have to take a somewhat different approach. So that's the first dimension. And the second, of course, is is embracing the broader non-biomedical aspects of care, uh, specifically social isolation, as well as, of course, hearing loss. But social isolation in particular is something which I think we're getting much more interested in, especially as we start to develop our thinking around um, developing a new way of thinking around productive aging. And rather than thinking about aging as something which is necessarily always uh, negative, there could be some positive components to aging, not only economically, but also to the individuals themselves. So what have we been doing about all this at PHE? Well, uh, we have a program called the Health Checks, and the Health Checks are checks which are offered to people who are not in contact with health services between the ages of 40 and above. And what they do is they inform people on um, healthy behavior. What we've managed to do last year through a pilot is start to introduce dementia in the discussion around um, risk reduction of activities and of behaviors And we piloted that in a really novel way. Instead of just delivering that ourselves uh, through local government, we asked colleagues from Alzheimer's Society and Alzheimer's Research UK to be intimately involved in that and co-produce the interventions. The pilot was completed around March of this year, and the results were very, very encouraging insofar as, despite our fears, the population were very welcoming of having a discussion around the importance of risk-reducing behaviour in their middle years. And we only recently successfully submitted uh, that to our expert advisory board, and it's in the process of becoming something which will be embedded in the future of our health check programme. But that's only part of it. The other part, of course, is embracing the life course. Part of our role is to ensure that children are prepared to be educated. And I think this takes on an added impetus with the information which is now available through the Commission. And also, uh, a lot of our work is around tackling social isolation and working with local government to do that. We certainly now have another reason to be able to do that more and with more vigour and with more oomph than we were previously. 
And finally, I think our role is really going to be around embedding uh, dementia in all other risk reduction uh, activities we're part of, because it's clear the common factors to cardiovascular health, to dementia, to diabetes are such that we really need to change the way we think and the way we describe these things and perhaps move a little bit more towards people from disease. Thank you very much for listening. Good morning, all. As stated, I'm a professor of psychiatry at the University of Michigan, but I'm also a geriatric psychiatrist uh, by clinical training and a clinical health services researcher. Uh, In my remarks today regarding the report, I'm going to focus on the ways that I believe the Commission's findings will impact clinical dementia care and policy related to clinical dementia care. And while the Commission's report, as said, is lengthy and contains 10 key messages that are very nicely summarized on the first page, I'm going to focus on one overarching message and three from within the report. The overarching message is about the importance of the focus on dementia care. This focus by a journal as prestigious as The Lancet is at once both critical and revolutionary. A quick look at this week's program at the AAIC reveals that the vast majority of research in dementia is related to cure, which is of course important and is something we all seek. However, the care part is represented here is vastly outnumbered. And so while recognizing while we have no current cure for dementia, any such disease-altering treatment is perhaps decades in the future, we have this aging population with an increasing prevalence of dementia. And regularly in the clinical setting, I hear from families, the search for the cure is wonderful, but we need help right now. And unfortunately, in the U.S., where I'm from, and in many other countries, access to what Lon was talking about, comprehensive care and case management and coordination for dementia services, is often not present. So what you see often depends on where you live, whom you know, and what resources you have. Poorly coordinated and fragmented care can lead to inappropriate hospitalizations and emergency room visits that we could prevent with better case management. So it's my hope that on the clinical level, the Lancet report will be a change agent. And first, in the way of creating the impetus and interest to empower dementia care clinicians and researchers to create and refine better intervention strategies locally, but then to share these interventions nationally and internationally at forums like this conference where we can advance care globally. Secondly, I hope it enables us to work with our policy uh, makers and key stakeholders to improve access and organization of care, which can convert what I like to call the crazy quilt of dementia care into a more efficient and effective safety net. Now for the three messages within the report. The first, as many have been speaking about, is becoming ambitious about prevention. So while as stated, we don't know many of the causes of the many types of dementia, we're starting to accumulate evidence for risk factors that if altered could prevent or delay dementia in up to a third of cases. Many of these notably are interventions that have minimal risk or actually health benefits, such as improving social engagement, managing hearing loss or stopping smoking. In the U.S., we have evidence now from Eric Larson and Ken Langa that the dementia compression of incidents that we are seeing in the U.S. is as a result of these more healthy lifestyles. So we're already seeing this in our aging cohorts. 
So as a clinician, while we're waiting for more studies on how to implement interventions of these risk factors on a large scale in our countries, it's worth preaching about modifying the risk factors in our middle-aged and older patients in our clinical settings. And this is really what positive aging is about, that with age we face many of these risk factors, medical problems, cognitive changes, anxiety, depression. But the good news is that we can manage and modify many of these risk factors and improve quality of life and outcomes. The second message is about individualizing dementia care and caring for family caregivers. I want to state that inherently dementia care is person-centered, as many people have been saying. It's also family caregiver-centered. The message has come through loud and clear in the Commission's report that good dementia care is comprehensive. It links medical care with also social and supportive care. Contrary to popular belief, most people with dementia are cared for in the community by those family caregivers that, as the report states, are the most important resource available to people with dementia. We need to treat these caregivers as such an important resource. They are drafted into an unpaid profession with minimal training and are highly prone to depression and anxiety themselves. Caregiving for those with dementia can literally cause them to go down with the ship. The Commission report underscores the value of these caregivers and the types of resources, education, and services they need in order to access the resources they need to be effective and healthy themselves. Finally, I'd like to highlight the message in the report of assessing and managing neuropsychiatric or behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. While we think of dementia often as only a memory problem, behavioral symptoms occur universally across all types of dementia and across all dementia stages. And these are among the most complex and challenging symptoms that are faced by caregivers and providers. I like to say that what gets you into a nursing home is not your memory, but your behavior and your function. The good news is that while we are still fairly limited in what we can do for memory, we're accumulating evidence on the ability to improve outcomes and quality of life for people with dementia and their caregivers by managing these behaviors. The report outlines the utility of approaches like DICE that our group have advanced and expands on it to assess and manage behaviors like agitation and apathy by the treatment of modifiable causes like pain and urinary tract infection and caregiver negative communications, and also selecting tailored non-pharmacologic strategies that we can use over the knee-jerk use of sedating medications. Thank you very much. I'm going to hand over to Jill for some final remarks, but I just would like to put this in a slightly wider context before I hand over to Jill. For those of you who have the report, do look at figure one on page seven. And what that does is look at a projection out to 2050 of the growth in numbers of people with dementia, but not only in high-income countries, but also in low- and middle-income countries. I think there may well be, and there certainly is in global health, I can tell you, a perception that dementia is very much an issue for high-income countries and is not a broader issue for low and middle income countries and that is absolutely not the case. Uh, Dementia represents a huge challenge for health systems around the world, for communities around the world and we need to think about our response to dementia globally not just nationally and I hope that this commission can be a foundation for some wider advocacy for dementia as an important contributor to ill health on a global context. Let me hand over to Jill now, who's done such a great job for the Commission. So, 
Our main messages, prevent the preventable, treat the treatable and care for the person living with dementia and their family. And that has got to be for individuals but within societies which have to be dementia friendly and um, to have dementia friendly transport and spaces. We haven't had a lot of time to talk about it, but one of the questions that Jeremy Hughes was asking was about interventions. I, I think these are clinical interventions. I don't think it has to be medicine to be a clinical intervention. We've tried to be clear. We've put algorithms so that people really know what to do throughout this. So this is one for approach to assessing and managing psychosis and dementia. And I think one of the ways you get things done is by making it easy for people to do. Our key headline messages continue to be the number of people with dementia is increasing globally, be ambitious about prevention, treat cognitive symptoms and other symptoms, individualised dementia care, care for the family carers, they do most of the caring and we know how to help them and we know that just giving information is not enough. So we've got details in the Commission, let's use it. Plan for the future allow people to make plans while they're able to do it and to take control and protect people with dementia from risk. Now is the time to act. We've got this information now. Effective dementia prevention, intervention and care could transform the future of society and vastly improve living and dying for individuals with dementia and their families, which will probably include all of us in this room either now or in the future. Acting now on what we already know can make this difference happen. This is to be a wake-up call. Let's all go and make it happen now.